Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. This is our second podcast on Star Wars... The Last Jedi. Yeah. More spoilers this time. We're going to keep on talking about the filming. It's all spoilers. In, in detail. If you haven't watched it, don't listen. Yeah. Um, so we decided to have another podcast because uh, Mike has had a change in conscience, a change of views. <laughs> I suppose you could say that. I, I don't know if I was a in a... A change of heart. <laughs> not, not a change exactly, because um, I'm sure if you listen to the last podcast, I wasn't um, totally negative, but I, I, I did feel... Within like a day, I felt like I hadn't really given it the kind of fair look, really, or or just my opinion was starting to change about it on reflection. Uh-huh. Well, it's kind of in reflection to the last film, right? This the episode seven. Um, I think my brother told me something that he'd read when they were making episode seven. It was directed by J.J. Abrams. That J.J. Abrams had this kind of mantra that he would uh, repeat on set uh, when when they were making it, which was, "Is this delightful?" Apparently, this is something that he would ask, and, and to keep the crew kind of in the in the the right headspace and motivated and all the rest of it, and that comes through when you watch episode seven because in the moment everything is fun about that film, and then mm. it doesn't last. It's not Lubitsch. No, no, I know, but but the point is, it's like it, it's there to basically make you happy in the moment all the time. But you actually, you watch you watch it a second time, or, or you think about it in reflection. You go, I don't really know what I saw in this. Whereas the Last Jedi was. It's, it's, not doing that the first time it was kind of more challenging mm-hmm. um, and I came out of it slightly nonplussed and lukewarm but on reflection I'm thinking actually no this is really good there's actually something special about this okay so what is special about it I think for one thing I like the, the structure the structure's different it feels like a chamber play almost mm-hmm. um, like Star Wars has always been about flying off to different planets and seeing new things it's um, it, it it's they're real adventure movies, mm. you know. Whereas this is, uh, the central structure of the film is a very very slow chase between um, the resistance ships trying to escape and the the fleet of the first order behind them, and they're just keeping them at arm's length. Which is you haven't really seen a chase like that in Star Wars before. You've seen chases and you've seen dogfights and things. I think I said this in the last podcast, but you don't really see them at arm's length at this war of attrition just waiting for them to run out of fuel and die. And it's like, it's, it's got a kind of Dunkirk feel. Mm. Like, it's just this central set piece that, that is about... It's not about winning, it's about surviving it. Um, which is quite interesting. And you really get the feel in this of, of the resistance is properly on its last legs. Like, they're losing ships hand over fist. Mm. And they're losing people. I, I think that's interesting what you say about it being a chamber piece because I do think in a way it's a chamber piece. It revolves around a few set of characters. Though, you know, it's what happens to those characters that for me is the significant thing, kind of, you know, the changes that you trace through all of them. So, um, you know, on the one hand, it's the, the, it's the inner struggle in... Uh, is it... What's, what's the Last Jedi's name? Or Ren? <laughs> Ren. Ren. Oh, no, no, sorry, um, Ray. Right, the last Jedi. You know, it's a, it's a struggle to find purpose, right? Uh, which is uh, the same thing with Luke's walk Skywalker, which is you know a a a, a struggle to find renewed purpose, uh, which is kind of you know the same thing in the John Boyega character, right? Kind of you know discovery of what the struggle is about, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so actually you kind of see, but the central character is the young girl, 
right? It's yeah. it's Ren. So <laughs> right, Ray. <laughs> She's so forgettable. That's that's part of the problem, really. I do still uh, find that a problem in this film. I still just don't like what I actually watching. think. You know that what what was confirmed. There were several things that stood out for me, uh, in the second viewing. The first was how important it was to watch her on IMAX because it really felt a diminished experience. The luminosity in this film, in this projection, was terrible, right? Like, kind of, you know, there were, there were bits of the screen were dark where they had not been dark in the previous screening that we saw it. Yeah, we saw this in 2D, just regular 2D screening, yeah, and as it, opposed to 3D it, IMAX. It really was uh, a diminished experience. Uh, the other thing was a confirmation of how inadequate... Mark Hamill is uh, in this part, you know, I, I, I suppose as Luke, you know, you can say he's inadequate as Luke Skywalker because he invented him, but he's inadequate to the demands of the Luke Skywalker he's being asked to depict in this film. Uh, he's, to me, he's like a blank on screen, really. Uh, and, and the other problem is that the other central character, the, the young girl, right. the young Jedi, uh, is 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 not uh, as dynamic or as charismatic or as dimensional as I would have liked, and I think it's the actor's fault. It's not the role as written. Yeah, I agree, but I don't I don't agree with you on Mark Hamill. Um, I I must say I I think I think he is up to the demands of the role. I think he he portrays this this broken, um, you know, kind of hopeless man. Uh, Quite well, I. There, you know, there are scenes like the scene he has with Yoda, where he, he realizes that Yoda still has things to teach him, or um, or when he interacts with R two, on the Falcon, and R two shows him the, the the clip of Leia back from way back from the first film, um, and he, you know, he feels something. There's a moment in that scene actually where he says, "Oh, that was a cheap shot, or cheap trick." But then the, the, the clip goes on and she says, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And it's right at that moment, his shoulders drop, like something changes in him. It's it's not even that subtle, really. It's quite noticeable. It's this physical change in him that stirred me. Wow. You know? Well, um, I think there were some things that he did that uh, were successful, but I think it's clearly due to the direction. So, you know, that bit when he's fighting Kylo Ren and... It all ends and he brushes his shoulder and there's a big laugh, right? You know, so... But I think that's different than, you know, what he's meant to be embodying. He's meant to be like this heroic, tragic figure. And I just don't see him that way. I just see a not very attractive, you know, old guy kind of being mechanically correct in a way. Yeah, like he's, he's not terrible, but kind of not conveying enough. There is something... So when he um, he brushes off his shoulder after having been uh, attacked with all his guns and just because he's not actually there, so they don't touch him. He, here's the thing, right? Luke is cool in this film in a way that I don't think he ever was in the previous ones. I, I don't think he's cool. I think that gesture is cool and funny. There's a kind of I don't think he himself is. Well, but he's being he's he's being constructed in 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 this way that's kind of you wouldn't expect. So while well, the first thing you see of him is a repeat of that shot from the end of the previous film where Ray offers him the lightsaber and you go, oh, it's back. He's Luke is back. And then what does he do with the lightsaber? Just toss it over his shoulder, walks off. Mm. So he disrupts your image of him straight away. Mm-hmm. I um, think that's good writing. 
Yeah, it's a good rhyme. But he's been constructed as 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 a, a kind of a cool figure. Like he not he has an inner turmoil when no one else is around, or just when Yoda's there. But but then when he comes back to uh, to, to help the resistance, he's he's playing the part, right? Like the resistance expects something of him. They expect that that Luke Skywalker is the hero that we know. And when he comes back, although he is he still looks old and he's got the beard, and he's he's kind of a he's still a hermit. <laughs> um, He's he's doing it to restore hope, and he needs to be what they believe him to be, and so he plays up. He winks at C three PO, right? You know, and it's a kind of, and I think that's partially a, a fixing of the last one when 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 Han dies and uh, Leia ignored Chewbacca. It's like they're old friends; they should have hugged, right? Mm. But I think it's an element of that. Like he makes sure to say hello to C three PO in this, so that the fans don't get annoyed. But like he's he's very consciously being the Luke that they all believe him to be. Well, but you're talking about the character. Now, in a way, I don't have any qualms about that. I think the character is very well written. You know, what I have a problem with is Mark Hamill, you know, acting this part. I think his face is immobile. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't convey anything. It's just, you know, it's an elderly face that doesn't move very much and that you never feel, like, fully engaged with. Uh, and then, you know, um, he doesn't have a heroic body, right? So, you know, I noticed that in his fights with um, the Adam Driver character, you know, they're really f- spaced apart because otherwise kind of like the difference in kind of physique and height and so on would be like laughable. So, you know, they're kept as far apart as possible. I think uh, that's uncharitable. I think you notice it. I think that's part of it. Like he's despite his physical stature, despite the way he looks now, he is still the resistance hero he can be. I think that's what's good about him. He doesn't have to come back and be big and strong and, and massive, you know, and physically imposing. I think he's a blank in the middle of this whole film, and I think he's a major problem with it. I do understand, you know, that I'm in the minority in thinking this. I have no idea um, what other people think. We can agree to disagree. Yeah. Clearly well, we do. We do. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I do see what you mean. I do. Mm. But I think that the film is actually kind of building a, a Luke around Mark Hamill's limitations rather than one that he can't portray due to them. I think in a cast like this that is just so great and so attractive, and when you think of the things that you know Benicio del Toro brings to his part, or Adam Driver, or indeed Carrie Fisher, or Laura Dern, all of whom are so memorable... Uh, then you look at, you know, who is meant to be, like, the centre of this film, in a way, right? Like, he and the young girl and the Adam Driver character are meant to be like a triangle, I think. Mm. Uh, And, you know, when two of those poles in the triangle are, like, so weak, it creates a vacuum. I take your point. I I do agree on the part of Ray, for the most part. Mm. But, I I mean, I do disagree with Mark Hamill. What can I say? I, I bought him. Yeah. At no point do I really not believe him. Like there, there are certain lines that Ray has. You know, uh, there's some line particularly where she says, um, "Kylo Ren is strong with the Force," and blah blah blah. And she's, and it's like she's reading it off. She's like she's got the script in her hands and she's reading it for the first time. It's awful. It's actually embarrassing how badly that line is read. Um, Mark but, Hamill doesn't have anything that bad. 
let's let's shift you know to yeah, better yeah. things we've, right because we've, in d- a way, we've done Luke to death yeah and also I think it's kind of emphasising the negative so, here's something that I realised watching it just now which I think I've always kind of known about Star Wars but never realised until right now which is that Star Wars has always felt different to other sci-fi to me um, I remember the last time we particularly spoke about Star Trek and Star Wars and how you can't have them feel the same um, and I realise now why that is which is that Star Wars is kind of a period drama it's like a costume drama period piece um, whereas other sci-fi is it really feels set in the future and, and about kind of gadgetry and, and, and smoothness and technology um, certainly Star Trek it's does, funny but. you should mention that because you know the John Boyega character like you know there is a whole strand of the film that deals with him Mm. Right. And basically, he is a number, right? He is one of those faceless warriors. What do you call them? Stormtroopers. He's a stormtrooper, right? And he escapes. And actually, at the end, I thought, uh, this is like the Dothraki in Game of Thrones, right? This is kind of like, you know, the liberation of these, you know, people who've been trained not to think, not to feel, you know, and they're a number just to fight, Mm. right? And so kind of there's this whole... A uh, uh, new form of slavery that's being depicted that, you know, kind of, you know, basically you're just a cog, a nameless, faceless cog in this machine. And it has connotations to slavery. I think there was a very telling moment in, in his last fight uh, where, you know, he, he rips the captain or whatever, the evil, you know, captain... Uh, and the mask rips, and actually you feel that it rips only to show you that it's a white person underneath. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, I thought that was very interesting because it... it I mean, really, I think it rips to show you it's a human underneath as well. Well, you... I, I mean, I, you know it's a human, obviously. I but, knew it was a human, but actually, you know... But there is something about seeing the eye, seeing her eye looking back at him is different to just seeing a big shiny silver helmet. Okay, but you could have done that in various ways, right? Like, they show you the skin and it's clearly like a white person. Anyway, mm-hmm. it had, it, it, that's what it made me think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And for the, re- you know, for very good reasons because there is a whole theme of a kind of slavery, right, uh, uh, that runs through it. But just to go back to your point that, it, you know, it has like these connotations of a costume drama or whatever, it, it reminded me of, of the Dothraki in Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's kind of... Yeah. One of the things that I connected that bit of the of the film to. I must watch Game uh, of Thrones. Yes, you must. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I see what I see what you're talking about. I think there are also things about. Um, I, I think sci-fi very often is very often concerned with ideas of the future and what humans could become, and uh, not always, obviously, but um, but Star Wars is has a well, the Jedi is are a religion and it has this kind of uh, everyone's dressed in, in in these robes and tunics and despite the fact that they have kind of new technology around them all the time they are still they're using swords it has a medieval and, right yeah. and, and you have and also the idea of that central family you know the, the, this bloodline that's that that kind of connotes you know sort of sort of as you say kind of medieval kind of royal kingdoms that sort of thing mm. um it has this kind of ancient feel. I, I mean, it's set, you know, a, a long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Listen. But me... I think that kind of adds to it. Like, it's, it, it has, it, it's, it's concerned with itself as almost like a fable. Mm. You know, like a mythological story. Yes. 
Well, I think part of the power of the series is that it definitely connects with myth. And it does so very powerfully. And that's why people feel so strongly about it, really. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that that's um, uh, undoubted. And I, and, you know, and I think that the developments in all of that, for me, uh, are uh, really praiseworthy. So, I mean, it, it, the second viewing confirmed my first impression, which was that unusually in the series, this film really focuses on the women, right? It's the women who do and who are leaders and who are in positions of power and who, you know, enact heroic things. Uh, you know, one of the characters that most impressed me in this and that yeah, I loved, she's very bubbly and bright and she livens up every scene she's in, is Rose. Is Rose. Yeah, I love her, right? And she gets given, in a way, the theme of the film, right? Kind of... You know, it's the struggle is to save what you love, not to what is it? Destroy what you hate. Destroy what you hate, yeah. right? That's kind of like you know yeah. the the theme of the film, and it's given to her to voice, right? So uh, I love that it's multiracial, right? And also I love that that aspect of the medieval myth, which is all like inheritance and blood and whatever, is kind of destroyed through the character of Ray, right? Because you know this emphasis that really she's nobody and she comes from nowhere and. You know, her parents have just sold her. So, you know, kind of everybody has a role in the struggle and everybody can be a Jedi Knight and it's not just because of who your parents were. Well, that's something I like more the second time. Although not everyone can become a Jedi Knight. You do still have to feel the Force. But um, Yes. But, um, but obviously, I mean, if you look at the previous films, when there were lots of Jedi, they weren't all part of the same family, right? Lots of different people feel the Force yes. and were part of the Jedi Order. Um, it's perfectly sensible that someone else... Who is force capable? Yeah, you know, just shows up and, and becomes. Well, you know, I think, that, I think that has resonances with our culture. So, for example, you know, uh, uh, you you if you get a good education, you get the benefits of a good education. But you know, you could be a mathematical genius and be poor. And if you get an education, mm. like it's you know, it's not due to you being rich. So I think the way that the force is distributed. She's like uh, Ramanujan. Sorry, Srinivasa Ramanujan. No, he was a he was a bloke from India in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Who was a, a math genius, but he was in the middle of India, no no real kind of education around him, and then Hardy sort of discovered him or, or was pointed in his direction and brought him to Cambridge, and you know he became this kind of great right. genius. Although well, I I think there was th there were things like from like one one textbook that he had in India. He kind of invented calculus and Pythagoras and things just on his own. Wow! You know, with that kind of thing. So that that's that's what Ray is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to connect it back to the film. So I love I love that, and actually, it 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 the second thing really confirmed that those are, you know, kind of thematics that are themes that are worked through and woven through the film as a whole. They're deliberate and systematic and patterned, mm. right? So I love that. I like um, it more the second time. The first time that I I thought, I don't know why I thought. I, well, actually, no. I remember that I said the first time was, uh, it made sense to me that uh, that Ray comes from nowhere because she's not interesting enough to be part of the family or something like that, hmm. which is you know kind of, kind of a bit harsh. Cheap shot. <laughs> yeah, it's a cheap shot. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. Like on reflection and watching it the second time, it it is good. Like it, there, there is no particular reason. Well, it, it would be almost too much of a coincidence. For it, for her to somehow be related, it makes a lot more sense, um, and it's more plausible that she's really just nobody. Um, 
and then as you say kind of that what that connotes with with her lack of a background and the fact that she can just be someone else who, who forms part of this fight without having to be particularly important to anyone else for mm-hmm. any other reason I, you know, is something that I think is is great and actually the thing that the films have missed mm-hmm. that everything in the films has been about this this the, the story of Anakin and Luke and their history over the first six films mm-hmm. um, there were a few um, technical things that uh, impressed me um, more well not that they impressed me more the second time around but I didn't even notice them the second time around really and um, one is the use of sound in mm. the film which I think is terrific right there are entire scenes like you know the initial conversation with Ray and Ren yeah <laughs> you're talking about when the sound drops out yeah, yeah. and you know the, the sound drops out or the, it's like a Dolby thing where you know, to, to indicate the possibility that he may or may not be in the same room, you're hearing the sound come from different directions. You right, know? yes. You know, uh, and then there's that moment of explosion where the sound just goes off, right? The, um, the, the, so the kamikaze. Yes. Thing, the sound, yeah, that's a, a ma- I wanted to talk about that. That's yeah, amazing. so kind of, you know, when you pay attention to the way that, uh, you know, the sound is kind of, you know, structured and made expressive and, you know, in the film, it's, it's actually really beautifully done, I think, and I hadn't noticed it the first time. Yeah. And the way that, the way that um, John Williams works, the way that the light motifs are brought back in, they, I mean, there are some of the most recognisable tunes, mm. uh, melodies in, in cinema, you know, kind of Leia's theme and, and, mm. and the Star Wars theme and Luke's theme, and, the, and when they come back in, they, you recognise them and they, they, they bring back all those feelings that you're supposed to feel, and they are kind of, you know... Re- rewritten and rearranged and they kind of come back in in ways that just, if they feel so natural there are kind of plot things that I still that I had a problem with the first time that I still have a problem with which is which is most mostly set on the resistance ship the resistance cruiser all the stuff with Laura Dern's character and Poe um what is Laura Dern's character's name Ho- Hobley or something <laughs> Tina Hobley um I don't know I just know she was fantastic <laughs> so it, the film starts off with with uh, Poe attacking this dreadnought. He kind of sneaks his way through their defenses so he can take out all the surface cannons, um, which is great. And uh, and Leia's saying, "Pull back, pull back." I can't, but I, I'm not entirely sure why she was. She was saying, "Pull back," and eventually he get he gets rid of the last cannon. And then she says, pull back, we've got to retreat. And I'm, I don't know why that was, because that was when they could bring in the bombers. And then he gets in the neck, because they, they end up doing this bombing run. They lose a bunch of ships. They lose a bunch of uh, fight, uh, resistance people. Um, and he gets in the neck saying, you were reckless. But I thought, actually, watching the second time, I thought, Leia can still say, don't bring in the bombers. Like, she's still in charge. Why is he getting the blame? Well, I, I don't like that. And then, and then that goes on to have... There are all these politics that go on on the ship with... Leia nearly dies and she's in recovery and so Laura Dern uh, takes command and then she kind of sometimes she seems to have a plan and sometimes she doesn't and I don't think it's the film I don't think it's the film controlling it I think the film actually loses control of its plot at this point because I think you are you're unsure as to, I, I still I still think that she needs to do more to get Poe under control if he's threatening what's going on she's not planning this far ahead when she decides to turn the ship round to uh, suicide attack Snoke's ship. Mm. Um, she does that on the spur of the moment because she was expecting the the escape pods to get away. 
Yes. Yeah. The, so, so the, the 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 first order are told about the escape pods by Benicio del Toro's character, and that's why they start attacking them. And that's when she decides I've got to do something about this. And the last thing, the only thing I can do left is is ram the ship. So she's not planning any of this. So it, well, I think what she did plan was the escape, the ending of the ship. Yeah, she did. But why not? I still think she needs to tell people about that. I think it is very muddled as to whether she has a plan or not. And I think that is the film needing people to do unwise things or unpl- implausible things in no, order I, in order for the plot to work. I think that that's also part of the film's theme because, you know, one of the themes of the film is that you have all these boys leaping to action, right? And you have all these women with a plan. Kind of. I... I kind of seen that. I think that's what the film is aiming at. Well, it's certainly aiming at that. I mean, Poe is impulsive and, and, you know, wants to get involved in the fight and says, we can do this, we can do that. And and obviously, uh, Laura Dern is not doing that. Uh, she's doing the opposite. She's kind of remaining kind of steadfast. But the fact that she kind of keeps things from him in ways that encourage him to, oh, but it's to, to be, behave recklessly. I don't know. I feel, um, you know... It's understandable. It's meant to be a military operation, and he's a nobody. So actually, if you would think of this as a war film, I, I don't think he is a nobody. I mean, he's their best pilot, and we, and he's the one who, when when all the command have been killed in that attack on the bridge, the film well, is showing you he is side of the point. The film he's not you, an he is, admiral or a general. Yeah, but the, or, no, but no one is. No one is. The point is they're all lost apart from Leia. That's what they say, is that everyone, everyone in command, apart from Leia, was lost in that attack on the bridge, and Leia is, is indisposed. And so when they announce that uh, who's going to be the, the, the uh, acting captain, the film is presenting, you, uh, presenting him as, I'm going to be the one, and then it's undercut when it turns out, actually, they're giving it to Laura Dern. Yes. So he's not nobody. He seems to be on more or less the same level as she is. Well, that was not my feeling at all. Until, obviously, she becomes captain. I mean, he was a colonel, and he got demoted to captain. You know, True. so kind of to me that was all. Uh, the film made that clear to me. I didn't feel I didn't have a problem with. In in this, yeah. Once the once the kind of ranks are kind of reconfigured, but until then, like I say, it's that, that's that scene where she become where she's given command of the ship, is about undercutting him because he assumes it's going to be him and he gets ready to stand up and take command. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, but I'm not again, he's not it's arrogant. A, it's it's a way of putting that kind of you know, impulsive, masculine kind of uh, um, impetus to just make things explode and dampening it down. Yeah. Right? You know, so, um, I, yeah, anyway, I thought that was good. I agree with the point behind it, but I think that actually the, the, the mechanics of what goes on are very muddled. Okay, I, I didn't feel that. Actually, I, one of the things that I admired about the film was how clear the storytelling was throughout, you know, uh, how to me it made sense at every instance, and also how it was, um, how it was kind of rhythmically put together, right? So that you know there were shifts in tone, you know there were moments that were exciting, moments that were moving, kind of you know they always brought in humor interspersed throughout all of it. Yeah. You know I thought it was kind of like uh, um, the architecture of the film was very well thought through. Um, yeah, so. at least for the most part. And actually, I think I, I complained the first time around that it was too long, um, which I, I take back. And actually, I, I think it's one of these things that um, when you know... I, I hate spoilers, right? But I think there is there is often an advantage to knowing what's going to happen in a film because it feels tighter and shorter, particularly 
what happens on the casino planet in this. I, I felt, love that even more. I felt it was very baggy the first time round, and in this, actually, I realise it's only three scenes, maybe, yeah. and they're quite short. But I think it's when you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know how long it'll last, and you're kind of anticipating... Well, you don't know what you're anticipating. When you know it's going to be over in a few short scenes, it feels that much tighter. Yes, I mean... They, they, There's they an do, advantage to watching it a second time. They do so much with it. And actually, I feel it's quite a radical... Um, quite a radical moment in the film, right? Because it's a real kill-the-rich moment. Yeah. Right? So, you know, these are all arm dealers kind of spending masses of money, you know, gambling... You know, uh, masses of money that they've that they've basically um, earned is the wrong word that they've manufactured through arms through, through arms discriminate so indiscriminate arms dealing, which means you know they're selling to to anybody for money, responsible for massive destruction, you know, and using the gains of that massive destruction, you know, here for evanescent pleasure. Mm. So you know, kind of. It is a real kill-the-rich moment. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought it was exhilarating. <laughs> I, I like um, also the, the kind of implication uh, or the kind of undercurrent it gives you of this war economy going on in the galaxy because yes. up until now, everything has been... You don't really question where people get their technology from. Mm. Like the rebels have ships and the empires had ships and the First Orders had ships and the Rebellion had ships. Um, Resistance had ships. So... Um, and you just kind of buy it, like this is Star Wars, right? Everyone's got ships. But the idea of actually, like, your ship's got to come from somewhere, mm-hmm. and people are making money off this, and there is this amoral uh, kind of bedrock beneath it. Yes, is very which is shown through the children and the horses, right? So the people who are maintaining kind of this luxury gambling outpost are actually, you know, the, the children that are basically child labor, and... You know, these horses that you think, you're not sure whether they're horses or whether they're a different species, right? You know, and part of the part of the plot is to liberate them as well. Well, they are different species. I think she calls them farers or something. I just okay. call them horse dogs. Okay, well, you know, but I, like intelligent beings, yeah? With yeah, feelings, absolutely. Right? So, so the whole thing is run on slavery. So, you know, the whole thing, I think, is like fantastic, right? It is mm. like a kind of a radical moment, if, if that's what it's saying. Um, what about something I mentioned to you uh, in the movie? What about this idea that Hux is constructed in a in a kind of gay way, <laughs> uh, or as gay? Like, so it, it first really occurred to me when he he slaps Finn. Finn and Rose have, have come onto the ship to uh, onto Snoke's ship to uh, infiltrate and try and destroy this tracker thing. And they're caught, and when they're presented to him, he slaps him with the back of his hand. And that's like, that's... If we were talking at a different moment, Mm. I would say absolutely. Okay. You know, that's the way that he's being coded. You know, but if you take on board all of this, like, non-binary, you know, differently gendered, blah, blah, you know, then actually it is quite possible that, you know, he's... um, He's a very effeminate, but maybe rampantly heterosexual person. <laughs> right? like, uh, well, the, film is kind of, the film is still using a certain language to communicate. I don't think. Well, put it another way: it's not unusual in you know, throughout in my history to have seen villainous characters portrayed in such ways. Shortcuts of making people seem weak or yeah. indecisive is, exactly. is to kind of code them uh, in, in ways that connote 
homosexuality anyway. So do you think that's something then that I'm reading into it rather than that it's actually been presented? No, I think it's being presented, you know, and I think you are meant to you are meant to to maybe read one thing for the other, mm. you know. So actually I think I think the attempt or the overall intent is to communicate weakness and indecisiveness and, you know, um Kind of a bit of ass licking and so yeah, subservience and so on. That's certainly true. Well, I yeah. think I'm not sure indecision. I think he's quite he is decisive, but he he's undercut by his superiors mm. all the time, and he's also undercut by people below him. I think actually he gets it in the neck from everybody. I mean, the the film starts off with Poe taking the piss out of him when he's stalling mm. for time so he can charge up his thing. He says, "Yeah, I want to talk to General Hux," and then Hux threatens him with this elaborate thing of we will crush your rebellion and then he, and then he says yeah I'm, I'm waiting for Hux which could be seen as kind of inappropriate humour not inappropriate but but sort of unexpected you know you, you're expecting a more dramatic moment but then like throughout the film Hux is being treated in that way and there's that point where um, Ren just force pushes him like into the wall and then the, the guy sitting at the desk goes, right away, sir. Mm. <laughs> like, and that kind of, like, this guy means nothing, this guy is not as big as he thinks he is, or, mm. I think, which I kind of like, like, it, it doesn't undercut the entire First Order, the entire First Order is still this massive Nazi machine. Mm. But the, that there is one person at the kind of apex of it, who is not really all that powerful, and is actually a figure of fun, that you can mock, I yes, quite like. And a figure to be manipulated. Um, the film doesn't have respect for the First Order. Like, I think, in a weird way, actually, the films kind of did respect the Empire back yes. in, the, back in the, the original trilogy. It presented this huge Empire, and it, there was nothing really wrong with it. You know, it had hubris, I guess, but it wasn't a figure... It wasn't... It wasn't you couldn't mock it. Mm. Whereas you mock Hux. Yes. Um, no, I, 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 I agree. Um, and I do see that. I think the second time I saw it... Um, what what was reinforced for me also was how touching Carrie Fisher is in the role, mm. right? Like kind of, um, you know, I think the, I mean there were moments just kind of looking at her hands and the way that she spoke, and obviously the last speech to Luke Skywalker, right, where it was I know, yeah, uh, I, I changed my hair. I thought it was very touching. Yes, um, I agree. So, um, I mean, they've gi- really given her a, a fantastic send-off. And actually, I think that that kind of move through space after the whole thing is blown up, right? When she pulls herself back to the ship. Yes, I thought that was, I thought that was wonderful. I thought I've heard a lot of people actually say that they found that really disrespectful to her character. Why? I don't, well, I guess because she's kind of exposed in space. Right. Um, I don't know really, but I, I mean, I, I was certainly uncomfortable with it the first time. I heard some people say, oh, well, it's in space, she should have been destroyed instantly and whatever, and you well, think, oh, fuck off. I mean, this is a story about Jedi fucking knights. Like, you know, you can, you can hold, you can suspend this belief yeah, for a few things, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if, if Luke Skywalker <laughs> can fight the Adam Driver character across another planet, mm. you can believe that she'll survive two minutes in space, right? Like, uh, it's ridiculous. And, to, and to, to the best of my knowledge, you can survive sort of 30 seconds a minute in space before you start blowing up. The oh. human body is just about that resilient. Like, I mean, I mean it's, it's still shown as, you know, on the easy side for her to survive but I know well, what you she's mean she's a Jedi yeah she's still, she's still Jedi isn't she pretty much so she is <laughs> I know I, uh, I know but I think it's like, it's an interesting thing of sci-fi like you suspend your disbelief to a certain degree but like 
you, you get the science right up until it conflicts with the story you need to tell. Well, actually, I wondered if there was like a sexist element to that because, you know, I mean, it's all right for Luke Skywalker to fight a battle, you know, across space, you know, in another planet, but it's not okay for a woman to survive like 30 seconds in space and get to a ship. I don't... <laughs> I mean, I you don't, know, because they're meant to be twins, right? Yeah. I don't think that's a sexist... Uh, well, I think, I know, think that if, they I have think, the same power. Yeah, I know, but I think... But it's not been established before that, that being Force-capable can keep you alive without a spacesuit. Like, I think... It, it, oh, no, 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 but the, no, <laughs> it's, uh, that's not, honestly, I think the film sets up certain... The film sets up certain elements to its fiction, which you which you buy into. So the Force you buy into, and the and the, the but blast the Force of, is with her. Yeah, sure, but like it's never been established that the Force can do something like that. And I think that if I think that if that happened to Luke, people would still have the same issue. Like, mm. you know, oh, so that's something that I didn't know you could get away with. Okay, I, well, I don't I, think that's a sexist thing. I, I think that is an element of the film. Slightly okay, you may be right, but I thought, you know, I mean, really, you know, she is a Jedi Knight, it explodes, kind of, you see her fingers move, so she wakes up, and then kind of, yeah. once she finds a moment of consciousness, she navigates back towards the ship, which I thought was like, you know, not a big deal, and it also provides her with a lovely moment, like a lovely visual moment, right? With the actual shot of her. Yeah. 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 You know, um, you know, and particularly since it's her last film, I thought that was a wonderful moment. Well, I think that may be one of the reasons that I, I found it uncomfortable the first time, because although I didn't feel like I kept the baggage of, of her having passed away with me, um, that is obviously a moment in which she is dead mm. um, in the film, or near death. Um, I mean, well, you first see her, and you, you might as well assume that she's dead, you know, until she moves her fingers. Mm. Um, which I thought, it's, it's kind of like how, you know, kind of films kind of post 9-11 would take out the Twin Towers, because they were aware of this momentous thing that happened. It mm. kind of reminded me of of that, the kind of way that, despite the fact it's totally fictional, it interacts with what's happened in real life. Mm. Although, obviously, they didn't take out her, her mm. scene. They, yeah, but the fact that it's in there is... It's not informed by uh, the fact that Carrie Fisher's passed away, but it uh, reminds you of it. Okay. That's, that's it. So what are, what are some other uh, things that you found... That you changed your mind, or you, that you found better the second time around. Really, what I what is what it is is I respect it so much more. Like it, what I said at the end of the first podcast, um, I think is true, which is it feels authentically Star Wars in a way that the previous film didn't. The previous film felt like it was playing at Star Wars. It mm. felt like fan fiction. It was kind of using all of these references and picking up all of these things that you knew and loved from Star Wars and putting them in. And this film doesn't do that so much. Um, and this one actually builds something. But it's quite interesting because a lot of people have been saying pretty much the opposite, that this is, that this is not authentically Star Wars and just doing something different. And I think that actually what it does differently is its strength mm. or its various strengths. Um, the f- when it comes up in the credits, the first credit you see as, as the film fades, you know, the film closes, is written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Written and directed. Now that's huge, you know? The fact that, I, to the best of my knowledge, they gave him a blank mm. slate. They said to Ryan Johnson, you, you've seen the previous film, or they were in the middle of making the previous film, you've seen the script. Um, from that story, write whatever you like. Mm. And then I'm sure that they will have had involvement you know, mm. after that, saying, well, we want this, we want that. But to, to say, 
you get to do what you like as a writer, not just a director. That's huge. Mm. You know, it's like it's actually kind of an auteur's Star Wars film. And he's a real artist, Ryan Johnson. He's not a hack like J.J. Abrams is. Mm. I really think that. Um, and so you can you can tell like they've there are risks in this film. They've taken risks or they've been bold in certain respects. Doing that with Luke, I saw this. I saw this um, interview with Mark Hamill where he said he still hasn't accepted what they've done with Luke because his Luke Skywalker would never give up on the rebellion, mm. which is what he has in this. But he said, you know, I've got it's. It's not my film anymore. It's not George Lucas's Star Wars anymore. It's something else. It's a second generation of Star Wars, and I will do what I'm required to do for the role. Mm. But that's interesting. Like that, even even for Mark Hamill to say. In promoting the movie, I'm not 100% happy with this. Mm. They took risks in this film, and okay. it shows. They paid off. There was one thing I meant to ask you, as a non-fan, <laughs> which was, uh, and this is what will probably seem really stupid to people, but I just kind of didn't get it. What was the significance of the dice, or the gold? This is something, actually, you've reminded me. Thank you. <laughs> I want to look up, because I don't remember the dice being in the films before. And actually, that... L- let me just have a quick Google of that because um... yes, I have seen all the films some many times, in fact. But I kind of I didn't I didn't get that within the film. Except obviously they go from person to person, but the significance of it escaped me. They were in a New Hope, apparently. I don't remember them. Um... And what do they signify? Well, it, uh, I guess they signify that it was one in a, the Millennium Falcon was one in a gamble, right? It was one in a bet. Uh. And but I guess it, it it reflects Han's thing of he's he's a gambler and he doesn't really think ahead and I think he says in the last film um, I think Ray says something like is this possible to do with the Falcon he says I never think about that before I've done it something like that so you know I think it reflects his character um, but in this film well the, the fact that I didn't remember them and I thought they they'd actually been brought in for this film suggests that they were never that important. Um, but they get past. But they are important in this film. Yeah, but they become important in this, and I think actually the film was. It seemed to me that the film was trying to give them a level of importance that they'd never earned before. Because right. like they became this symbol of Han, they became this symbol of, of, his family, right? I think mm. Ben's family. Because I think it's they they show up to Ben Solo, don't they? They end up in his hand at the end, and then they disappear mm. because because Ray, he and Ray connect to either force one last time mm. without Snoke's assistance this time suggests that they will keep doing that which is quite exciting it is quite exciting um, yes I'm looking forward to it so it's like he, he has this thing of kind of extinguishing his family like he kills his dad mm. and then in this one he kills or thinks he kills um, uh, Luke his uncle mm. uh, he's constantly fighting kind of who he is supposed to be or is being told that he well, is he, has, he does kill him right yes yeah. yeah so we're told that Luke dies but, it's, but as Luke says in a kind of reflection of that line that Obi-Wan had in the first film if you strike me down I'll become stronger than you could possibly imagine Luke says if you kill me in anger I'll be with you forever and yes. he will like it's not the fact that, that Luke is literally not there anymore he's going to constantly be haunting well that, that's good because Rain. maybe he'll only appear with his voice <laughs> which is very expressive and not his face <laughs> it'll be the same he'll have, so, he'll have that big blue glow around him only like, like, like Yoda did um, uh, I think he, he Kylo Ren is such an interesting villain he's he such is. an interesting character and, and he's got so much all this turmoil inside him I love when he kills Snoke and then they, they take out all of his guards and he, he offers to, to build something together to, to um, 
to Ray. It's it's not that he has feelings for her, but they've connected, right? That like mm. Snoke in connecting them via the Force has been trying to stoke. He has something. feelings for her. There's no question he has feelings for her. Sure, but I mean, like, okay, not romantic feelings is what I mean. But they've connected. Um, they, they, he has they... romantic feelings for her. I don't think so. Oh no, I think he's hot for her. I disagree. I think it's. I think when he offers her his hand and says, "Forget the past. We can build something. Destroy the past." It's like. That he wants to get rid of his past, right? He what he 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 hates the he hates where he's come from. Listen, yes, and he, to hold on, all one, of that. Well, hold on, let me finish. He hates where he's come from, and he and he wants to kill it. And and Ray represents someone who has no past, and he's a real, real blank slate. And so when he offers his hand to it, it's like you understand me. We understand each other. It's not about and let's go make whoopee. But those two things are indistinguishable. But it's I about, like, let's make a life together. We've got so much in common. Blah blah blah. That's another way of of saying he's in love. You know, it's not all just about like you know sex. Though that's indicated as well. He he obviously finds her like really attractive in all those ways. I mean, that's a way of indicating love. I didn't get that. Where'd you get that from? From all that you just said. Let's build a life together. Like, we can do this. We have so much in common. Blah. That's how... That's, that's not about physical attraction. That's about love. I don't think it is about love. I honestly don't. I think it's well, about... Well, traditionally, I think, that's love. I, I mean, think it's about loneliness. I think it's about loneliness. Well, that's also part of love. I think it's... You it, know. Like, um, just finding someone who understands you is not the same as falling in love. He feels well. Actually, it often is. You know, in romantic fiction, one thing stands in for another. Finding someone who understands you is finding your mate. Possibly, but I don't think this film communicates Uh, romance. Well, to me, it does. Okay. And actually, that's part of what makes it so strong. You know, that kind of there is kind of this this romance. You know, that is kind of fought through with struggle at every step, which is again is another traditional trope of romance, actually. Um, so I, I, I feel I think the film is too concerned with what people would think to make it into a love interest thing like the, the film is more interested the film is more concerned about keeping Ray as you know independent and, 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 and that sort of thing and not having to rely on on well, love no the, the film brings in other things because clearly who she's interested in is the John Boyega character right and so there's another triangle there between Rosie the John Boyega character and Ray. Rose, Finn and Ray. Yes. That's one little triangle. If you say so. I think it's clear, it's obviously there. Be- <laughs> what do you mean if I say Well, because so? I don't know, I don't see it. It's obviously there between Rose and Finn. Like, Rose falls for Finn um, and Finn doesn't see it because he's got, he's that kind of clumsy man character that is all so fun. Um, There's all the exchange of looks at the end where, you know, for they meet, they embrace passionately you know, and then he brings Rosie, and then she looks at him taking care of Rosie, right? And there's a little tension there. I think the Finn and Ray thing would be strong if they hadn't spent an entire film on two different planets, you know, or, or one planet and one spaceship. Like they're completely apart, and they and they hug at the end with a smile because they're seeing each other and they survived, not because they're in love. It's more than a friendship thing. Mm. If you, I mean, you're clearly a, you're clearly some sort of love guru. <laughs> yes, I, 
<laughs> well, and you can so clearly blind to it. <laughs> you would not love if it kind of slapped you in the face. <laughs> and but then I'm clear. here. <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, I, I haven't heard anyone else talk about that. It might be interesting to get other people's thoughts because that's not something that really occurred to me. Mm. Um, well, well, I mean, it, it wasn't. I wasn't blind to it, but I thought it's. It kind of occurred to me, and then I went, "No, this is not about that. This is about something." Well, else. can't it be about? I'm not saying it. Ca- I'm not saying it can't be. I'm saying I don't think it is, though. It's, mm-hmm. That's all. I mean, if they wanted to, they could definitely make it make it obvious, make they it more put obvious. Put it there and let it like, bubbling away. Mm, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, a last thing. What? What does? Well, that that's. Mean? I mean, kind of. I respect an awful lot more the second time. I, I like the fact. It, it's the fact that I didn't like it enormously the first time and then immediately was thinking about it and wanted to see it a second time kind of I think is a good thing like mm. I think a lot of things that you don't like at first end up being some of your favourite things it survived a second viewing in very undesirable circumstances because we saw a very bad print of it although in some respects I did prefer seeing it in 2D to 3D despite the fact that um, the, the screening was a little dark I think that seeing it in 2D uh, shows off the compositions. I I, al- I almost always prefer seeing things in two D, and actually this was strange because usually the three D reduces the luminosity. So I thought, you know, that we'd be seeing it without the three D, but actually that it would be brighter, that there'd mm. be more light in the image. Whereas actually it was the opposite. So we saw it without three D, but actually with the kind of luminosity that you expect in three D. Yeah, well, I guess the difference was made by the fact that in 3D we also saw it in the IMAX digital, which is, you know, kind of show-offy and expensive and everything, whereas in this one we saw it in, I guess, a regular digital yeah. um, screening. Um, but it was a disappointment, actually. I thought... Um, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, so, anyway, right on. Yeah. I'm glad I saw it twice. Yes, so am I. <laughs>